Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and it's Fertility Preservation Month. On the show today to talk about oncofertility is Dr. Eric Widra. Dr. Widra is the Medical Director of Shady Grove Fertility in Metropolitan Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and Philadelphia, and the Associate Director of the Combined Federal Fellowship in Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility is a postgraduate training program for future leaders in this subspecialty, operated through the National Institutes of Health, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, and Shady Grove Fertility. And on top of all that, he is a board member of Resolve. Dr. Widra, thanks so much for being on ASRM today. Jeff, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So as I mentioned, this is Fertility Preservation Month, and we wanted to specifically get make sure we had uh, a discussion with someone about oncofertility. Um, In raising awareness of cancer and reproductive choices, uh, what are some recent resources that providers can suggest for patients? You know, it's been an interesting journey working in in this space over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. You know, it was a huge deal when when the uh, cancer professional groups said, hey, wow, this is something we really need to talk to our patients about. And we've been trying to to ride that wave to help those patients ever since. The resources have evolved over time. Uh, For a while, the Livestrong Foundation uh, was a a really great resource for patients, but that's morphed over the years into more of a wellness website. Um, They still have some resources for cancer patients. The Alliance for Fertility Preservation is a group uh, a multidisciplinary group, group of professionals who are here to raise awareness and bring resources to play. Those are that's another great resource. And Resolve also has resources for people looking at fertility preservation and has done a lot in the in the space of helping military families uh, access care for uh, infertility treatment and fertility preservation. And we'll make sure to put those websites in our show notes so that people can just click on them uh, and be taken to those links. A patient comes to you or maybe you're currently seeing a patient and they become become diagnosed with cancer. Is is there a certain timeline to discuss options with patients? Does does it depend on where they are in their cancer treatment? For sure. And the, the patients are best cared for in a multidisciplinary approach involving their oncologists, their surgeons, if they have a surgical, uh, surgically treatable cancer, and the reproductive endocrinology community. And this goes for both uh, men and women uh, who are diagnosed with uh, cancers that could later affect their reproduction. And so certainly, yeah, the, the sooner we can make contact and, and have a conversation about options, uh, the better it is for everyone. But it's a very fraught time for these individuals. They're trying to balance a very frightening diagnosis of cancer. And at the same time, think about a, you know, a future that they may not have really considered until now. So it, 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 it requires you know, early conversation and sometimes repetitive conversations about what this means for their future and what really is the best course for them. I also think it's really important to know that it's not everybody's a candidate for this, and acknowledging that up front can be a difficult but but important aspect of caring for these people. Some are too sick to to get into fertility preservation, or you know, a, even a short delay may affect um, the the comfort level of their care team in in getting their cancer treatment started. Based on let's then let's say that someone, let's stay focused on people who can get treatment then, what are some various options for these patients? Sure. Um, So uh, men and boys are a little bit easier. Um, 
we don't we don't need surgical procedures to to get the sperm. However, not exactly the top thing on many of these uh, young men or even older men's list of things to do. But getting them connected to a sperm bank early and and regularly can provide them options. Uh, we work with and and others around the country work with children's hospitals for. Uh, adolescent and pre-adolescent boys on um, preserving testicular tissue for the future. And so those options are are more straightforward. For women, it, it's a bit more problematic because as you know, most of the audience probably knows, um, we can't just go and get eggs tomorrow. Um, it requires stimulation of the ovaries, monitoring. And um, while an egg retrieval is certainly considered a minor surgical procedure, it can be complicated by underlying issues related to their cancer diagnosis. Um, so, um, what's really been exciting for me over the last few years is seeing um, the evolution of new protocols, including protocols com combining um, uh, letrozole and clomiphene with gonadotropins, random start protocols that allow patients to be started pretty much any time in their menstrual cycle and still getting a reasonable number of eggs for preservation. The, the science around ovarian tissue preservation has also evolved over time. I think most of us, when we think about taking care of adults, feel that egg preservation is probably um, a, a more reliable choice. But just like with boys, there can be young girls who benefit from ovarian tissue preservation or pre-pubertal um, um, so that they may have options later in life as well. And, and speaking of egg preservation, we, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about elective planned oocyte cryopreservation or is oh, in this other... case it's certainly not elective right i mean right. They're, they're they're facing some form of their, yeah, they're facing cancer treatment that yeah. you know could compromise their their future fertility so we don't necessarily call it elective at this point although the techniques are similar with you know elective fertility preservation time is not typically an important variable for us we can use our usual tools to um, control women a woman's uh, menstrual cycle and stimulate her eggs um, appropriately um, in women with cancer, uh, they may not have time to wait out uh, to wait for a menstrual period or for us to um, manipulate their cycle length to begin an egg stimulation. Um, they may have a cancer where we're worried about elevated estrogen levels, and that's typically breast cancer. And so we've developed protocols that minimize rises in estrogen. How important that is is something that hasn't been really sorted out in the literature, but it, it, it does seem to be wise to err on the side of safety for those women. I'm speaking today with Dr. Eric Widra. We're talking about onco-fertility. Um, Dr. Widra, uh, uh, your time is so appreciated here. I just, I, I wanted to wrap up with you by asking you, what are some future considerations in, in the field coming, I mean, in, in this research that, that, that you might be involved in or that you might know about? I, you know, it's... Um... One of the nice things about it is that it really does go hand in glove with the rest of our fertility research. So optimizing protocols for egg preservation and equally importantly, egg thawing and fertilization later, uh, identifying ways to optimize the response to medications with the various protocols I referred to earlier to get the, not necessarily the most, but the safest most number of eggs, if I can put it that way, to give these women some peace of mind uh, for the future. Outcomes from preserved oocytes um, is something that's an ongoing process. Uh, the data to date are very reassuring. But if, from the standpoint of oncofertility, you know, that's not the time to talk about, you know, a survey of, you know, hundreds of kids from Italy. That's the time to say, okay, you've been hit with a really bad diagnosis. 
Um, we want to provide you some options for the future. If that's safe and, and effective now, we can figure out the other stuff later. And so I think that, that that's the message that we, we try to give those. Dr. Woodrow, thank you so much for being able to take time out today to, to, to talk with us and to, and to share your expertise and your wisdom. It is, it is always welcome. And I hope you can come back uh, on the show soon. Uh, it's a pleasure to help. And I'd be delighted to come back anytime you need me. Fantastic. Uh, rate and subscribe to the show on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, or however you get your media these days. Uh, also, please, again, check out the show notes for any links that we have described uh, in the show today. I want to thank my guest again, uh, Dr. Eric Widra. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.